What's up, my friends? Jason Menes here. So glad to be with you guys here on Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Today is podcast 139, and we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 27. So we're just two chapters away until we are completed with the book of Acts. And today we're going to talk about where Paul is shipwrecked on his way to Rome. So get your Bibles out and let's jump into it. Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. In the remaining two chapters, Acts 27 and 28, Luke records in great detail of Paul's treacherous journey to Rome. Now, this is significant. You may wonder, as we're going through these last two chapters, why would Luke spend time uh, addressing some of the things that he does? And it will make sense as we go through it when we look at when Paul, again, in today's podcast, we'll be covering him being shipwrecked. We'll see a poisonous snake that bites Paul, and we'll look into what that all means. We'll also look at the large crowds of Jews that dispute his claims that Jesus Christ being the Messiah, according to what Paul teaches, and just how you respond to accusations that you will face and that I will face in life. And again, we're speaking primarily as a Christian. And so today, as we look at the first part of Paul's journey, just be sensitive to kind of see how Paul remained steadfast to what God had called him to do. And we're going to see that God ahead of time, and even during this journey, God speaks to him and lets him know that I'm right there with you. I'm not going to abandon you. And he took great you know, pride and comfort in that very thing. So if you have a Bible, let's start in chapter 27, beginning in verse 1, where this is the first stop to Rome is Fairhaven. So it says here, and when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship, the coastal of Adramatium, that's in, in Messiah, which, would, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, which is the southern part of Asia Minor, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete of Salmon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. So there, right, right off the bat, uh, what we actually see is again some boring details about uh, Luke talking about some of the things that um, they go through on their first leg of the journey. And so again, we're told here from the beginning of this chapter that Luke travels with Paul to Rome. 
the we passages. This is something that he inserts frequently. Go back to chapter 16, all the way in verses 10 through 17. We see that. We see the we passages in Luke, or excuse me, in Acts 25 through 15. We saw them a few chapters ago in chapter 21, verses 1 through 18, and now we see them here in Acts 27. Now, when he says here that they should sail for Italy, notice Paul is escorted by Rome uh, through the handlers of, they're known by the speculators. And it's a specialized group of imperial guards who acted as couriers uh, between Rome and its provinces. So these are, these are people that know what they're doing, that this is what they're paid to do. They want to ensure that the property of Rome or citizens of Rome actually arrive on time and where they're to be. So that's their job. And so this is a big deal. And, And Luke is allowed to go with Paul, which is also significant. Because Paul was his, because Luke was his personal physician. And notice he also mentions, and this was a name that we see in two other cases in Paul's letters, Aristotarchus. He's a personal helper. Now, again, Paul mentioned him in Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. And he also mentions him in Philemon chapter 24. And then he says, on the next day, uh, we are put into Sidon. So it's 70 nautical miles north of Caesarea. So Paul's being. Uh, a respectable man uh, and a beloved leader, he's given a lot of leeway by uh, Festus's handlers. And so he, along the way, he's allowed to actually see uh, some of his friends uh, in this journey. So again, this, this kind of shows you the respect level that they had for Paul. So even though they're kind of like enemies of Paul, they're not believers in what he preached, nonetheless, they're pretty cool people to be around. And this is, this is helpful for us to understand that we're, we're not always to assume because people are not Christian or they don't believe exactly what we believe that there are our mortal enemies. We're not to see, see things that way. We're, we're to understand that God is using these people. Just like a few chapters ago when the Jews fasted and waited to, to, you know, to employ this ambush to have Paul killed, God used Romans to spare his life, to save him. And then in the second attempt, as we saw in the previous podcast, and we saw this in Acts chapter 26, the elite Jews try to employ the same tactics. And they're trying to get Festus to give up Paul and have him back to Jerusalem, not to be tried, but so they can ambush him and assassinate him and because they failed the first time. So God was using certain people to protect his anointed. And we're told here by Luke from uh, verses four, all the way to chapter, or excuse me, to, to verse eight here. Paul had traveled through uh, Patera to Tyre with his companions uh, over two years ago, and they're going through this same area again. And then Luke also mentions this city known of Myra, which was an actually a well-known city where Julius arranges the transfer of his soldiers and prisoners onto a larger ship. Now, this is insightful, not let's say in a, in a spiritual sense, but one of the things, and again, a classic book by Colin Hemmer, when he evaluates the archeological discoveries of, of Luke. And we know that um, many scholars said that Luke was a first rate historian. Sir William Ramsey had, had said that and a few other people, but that um, we see the, 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 the details 
that Luke puts in his account of these journeys. And this is important because when you're seeing that the ultimate claims they make are about Jesus Christ rising from the dead, they got to make sure that the cities, how they traveled, by which means, who was with them in the journey, that those type of details actually line up. Because if they don't, then you're going to discredit them on these spiritual accounts. Because remember, if you go back to Acts 26, Festus and hearing the claims that Jesus rose from the dead and that we one day as believers will be resurrected ourselves, he said this is utter nonsense. And even Agrippa abruptly ends the meeting because he didn't know how to handle or deal with these things with, with Paul. And so if, if they thought it was utter nonsense of what, what he was saying on a spiritual level, could you imagine if his historical accounts don't line up? If they're just merely assertions, they're not actual truth claims because when, when pushback comes and it, and, it, and it will, it certainly was taking place here with Paul, but it didn't stick because he had the truth on his side. And that's why Luke, you guys, goes into considerable detail because he is an historian and he's making sure that these things are presented in such a way that you and I can trust them. Now, the NIV Cultural Background Study Bible says, Rome imported as much as a third of its grain from Egypt, probably more than 100,000 tons per year. It doled out grain free to Rome's residents to ensure peace in the capital, while many children in Egypt died of malnutrition and its effects. Many cargo ships, sometimes 180 feet long, plied the waters from Alexandria and Egypt's northern delta to Rome. Persons of, of means privately owned the ships, but Rome ensured that their investment was economically rewarding. Although the return voyage from Rome was often less than two weeks because of Mediterranean wind patterns, the voyage to Rome ranged from about six weeks to more than two months, end quote. So this is important because it gives us insight into what Luke is writing about, what he's telling us. And so again, kind of, you know, boring details that you don't see on a devotional book, if you will. The last time you did a devotion on this passion, this passage, uh, you know, in verses one through eight, I'm sure it was never. But again, it's, it's helpful for us to see the meticulous detail that Luke puts forth. So now let's jump to verses 9 through 26, where now Paul warns of this coming judgment that Luke records. It says, since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo in the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster known as the Aeroculo, if I'm saying that right, a typhoon-like wind, struck down from the land, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, 
We gave way to it and were driven along, running under the lee of a small island called Kada. We managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supporters to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground, that's the sandbars, on the, the Sirtis, Sirtis, they lowered the gear and thus they were driving along. And then verse 18, since we were violently storm-tossed, they began to the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and cured this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all that you sail uh, and all who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been, as I've been told. But we must, verse 26, we must run aground on some island. So there's a lot here that we actually see in this particular passage now in chapter 27, where Paul, again, prophetically, he warns them of coming danger, but they didn't listen to him. Now notice in the beginning here in verse nine, they're talking about this voyage and he was perceived, you know, that they, that the voyage would inquire injury. And it talks about this fast. Now, Paul and his companions, I believe, were they, they had been fasting during Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. And again, if you look at the calendar, we then can put exactly based on the details of Luke what time frame this was as they were heading to Rome. As again, as we've been able to look at the conversion of Paul in the late 8030s to when he writes the first letter to the Galatian church and no later than 8049, though I put Galatians at 8047. And then you look at his three missionary journeys and then you see his fourth missionary journey where we're at now. And when they're fasting during Yom Kippur, this is late September to early October. So again, this is roughly in, you know, uh, early 8060s. And Paul here is, he's warning the crew because of the winds, because of the condition, it was extremely dangerous. Now you think, well, Paul, you're not in charge. You're, you're, you're not leading the crew. Well, remember in second Corinthians chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, Paul actually knows a thing or two about being caught in these type of temptuous, you know, conditions. And he forewarns them of the danger to come. Now, Julius the centurion, what he does is he decides actually to risk another 50 mile voyage. Remember, this was in bad conditions. It's a larger boat, there's a lot of cargo, and a lot of wealth is on this ship. Not just the lives, but a lot of merchandise. And so he says, no, let's go, let's push it and let's do another 50 mile voyage through the rough winds and 
you know, these currents on this larger port, Phoenix. So he doesn't want to get stuck at a smaller port because he says if we get stuck, again, late uh, uh, September to early October time frame, so it's cold, I'd rather risk another 50-mile journey, get to a bigger port where if we do get stuck, we can either take a lot of the merchandise off and then put it on another boat or at least be there and let the, the conditions die down and we'll have food and supplies with, again, almost 300 people are on this boat. So it appears that the captain, he was thinking what would benefit the sale of his goods and not lose money and also lodging for his men. So that kind of gives us a little bit insight as to why Julius makes the decision. You think, well, why didn't he listen to Apostle, to, to Apostle Ball? Does he not know? You see, that's how we're seeing it in context. So of course, probably more likely, if we knew who Paul the Apostle was, we would would listen to him but you can understand what Julius was doing. Remember, he himself was a professional. And so he takes the risk. Now, after starting out with low winds, as they as we're, as Luke tells us here from verses 13 to uh, verses 20 to verse 20, after starting out with low winds, as they crossed the Gulf of Macera, now remember this is the, the southern coast of, of Crete, the boat gets caught in the violent winds and they're coming off Mount Ida and, and they're pushing right through the central and western part of the Mediterranean. Okay, so that's where these winds are coming from. And so the entire crew, they can't manage to get out of these conditions. And so they're stuck in this northeaster um, winds for 14 days, we're said in verse 27. So they are on this ship. And that's how bad, you guys, this, this storm. Now, if you've ever been in a storm that lasts for a few hours... Could you imagine being on the, in the sea and not getting out of it for well over 14 days? And they were told in verse 21, since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and says, men, you should have listened to me. Now, Luke records Paul's frustration over the crew disregarding his concerns at Fairhavens. But again, he delivers them. And that's one thing I love about Paul. It, it's kind of cool where, yeah, he's ticked off, you know, in a way, not, you know, where he's vengeful and he's, you know, despite them and he's going to use, you know, his magical powers or something like that to curse them or anything like that. But even in the midst of, of saying, hey, you guys should have listened to me. So next time, maybe you guys will listen to me. Uh, but he says, but hey, guess what, though? Despite the fact that we're in these in this situation, which could have been avoided, I got some good news uh, for you. God had sent me a message and told me that we're going to be a-okay, that we're going to safely arrive to Italy. Now, this is important because when it says in verse 23, for this very night there stood before me an angel of God, Paul speaks from divine revelation. And again, this is comforting, just like it is still today. When, you, when, you, when somebody reveals to you, uh, uh, you know, that God spoke to me, or an angel appeared to me, or you have seen the hands or the working of an angel a ministering spirit that God has sent to one, bring comfort or guidance or counsel. This also brought comfort to the crew uh, because he told them, even in the midst of these conditions, hey, we're going to survive this. We're going to get through this. You guys have to trust me. I warned you. So hopefully me warning you guys and Julia's disregarding it. Again, not that they're being a bunch of punks, but now that, that I have this type of insight and I'm telling you that I get these divine revelations, Hopefully this will bring you guys confidence. So Paul's confidence 
was well received by the Gentiles. And, and this shows you the leadership of Paul, by the way. And so more than likely, the people and the prisoners that were on this big ship, they're heading to Phoenix, they respected this sage. They saw this man. They probably, again, they didn't see it like you and I would see him as an apostle, but they saw him as a wise individual, wise sage who stood even against the storms um, at sea. So even though things were in, in bad conditions, Paul was standing strong and telling them not to give up. So now let's transition in verses 27 through 44, where Paul now does face the shipwreck. So turn to verse 27 here, where it says, when the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, or the Adrian Sea, that is, about midnight, the sailors suspected that we were nearing land. So they took a sounding found 20 fathoms, and a little farther on, they took a sounding again, and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run to the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat, as the, the, the dinghy, into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, giving thanks to God in the presence of all. He broke it, and he began to eat. Verse 36, Then they were encouraged and ate some food themselves. And then notice Luke says here, we were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay, possibly St. Paul's Bay, with a beach on which they planned if possible to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea at the same time loosing the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who would swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on the piece of the ships. And so it was that all were brought safely to the land. So here's the, the, the last final portion here on the podcast today where they do face the shipwreck and seeing the, the end result of what happens when they get to shore now, the crew continued to take measures, as, as Luke points out, again, giving meticulous detail, providing us insight to really shed light that this stuff really happened. And now they do this, obviously, to see how close they were to land and obviously still with the ship to avoid rocks that could rupture the ship's hull. Um, so that's why they were doing that. 
Now, Paul uncovers the sailor's scheme. Notice when Luke mentions this here, when he tells the centurion, the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. So what do they do? The soldiers cut away the ropes of the ships and they let it go. So you're thinking, what was that all about? Well, again, Paul realized that the sailor's scheme was to abandon the ship and leave them. And, and, and try to survive on their own, saying, forget you guys, I didn't, I didn't sign up for this, I'm out. So he warns Julius to prevent this from happening or uh, possibly to seal the fate of everyone, you know, on board. So, you know, there's, here's again another dilemma that Paul has. Does he just let these guys leave and just say, okay, well, fine, good riddance. You guys go off and you know, more food for us, you know, if we were to survive this type of thing. Or, you know, and also, too, I think that Paul is jumping in there and he's recognizing, hey, look, we all need to band together. I told you guys that, that we are going to get through this, but we have to do it together. And so he goes to Julius and he works out a way to get Julius to, to put an end to this scheme. Again, showing now that Julius is listening to Paul. So thankfully, you know, he does this instead of just disregarding it. He listens to him at this time. And what do the sailors do? They cut the the dinghy to the lifeboat so they couldn't escape. So that's why they cut those ropes saying, there goes your guys' way of getting off this major boat, getting one of these uh, uh, lifeboats and, and, and abandoning all of us together. So at this point in the voyage, everyone on board, are uh, they're complying to the orders of Paul. And, and so he tells them to eat food. So now notice Paul's concern. He, he's taking over and again respectfully but he's caring for these people he wants them to gain the strength because he says listen we're going to need strength to get to that beach because the ship is not going to survive uh, what's going to happen next and he tells him not even a hair on your head is going to perish now that was a semitic phrase that meaning no harm will come upon you when jesus said in luke 12 that god knows the number of hairs on your head it means that he's very personally involved in your life. And so when Paul here is using the phrase, not a hair on your head will perish, he's saying that no harm will come upon you guys. So he's, he's telling them, you guys, I've told you this before, we're going to get through this. But then another situation happens. And how many times that happened in our lives? God tells us, don't worry. And we're like, okay, we got this. God, you're going to give me the strength. But then some unexpected thing comes up that God didn't maybe specifically tell you will happen until you actually receive the, 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 the release or the freedom and you get, you, you start panicking again, you start worrying about it. And so he reminds them, listen, you guys, it's going to be okay. Get some food. So it seems that Luke here is, is when they break bread is alluding to the, that they also uh, broke bread in terms of the Lord's supper mentioning that as well. So what's going on here is more than likely Luke Aristarchus, and Paul, they're sharing the gospel to these 273 other individuals. And, and this is important because Luke is recording the number of men on board for, for the rationing. So they knew that. So it kind of shows you that they got their house in order here. And they're making sure that they're also counting for every single life that gets off the ship and is on the beach. So again, this shows you, you guys, sensitivity to Paul and Luke themselves in the midst of these conditions. And so the crew, we're told by Luke, they managed to get uh, to the beach, uh, uh, you know, and, and they're able to, and this is a phrase that's used, is that they're able to beach the ship amid a sandbar. 
but they were still a, a distance away from the shoreline. So they untie the, the rudders and attempt to steer the ship closer to land so they can get to the shoreline. And they were told here in verse 42, the soldiers plan on killing the prisoners. So remember, the, you know, the, 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 the people that were on the boat, uh, the sail guys, they were, they were going to ban his ship and save themselves. And now that Paul was able to get everybody, you know, f- you know, on, on board together and get them eat, you know, to, to eat and be strengthened. Now, all of a sudden the soldiers, they're going to kill all the prisoners. That's, that's a, that's a, a few hundred, you know, people they're about to kill. Now, perhaps Julius, you know, spared Paul's life because he was grateful that there had been multiple times now where Paul actually protected every one of them that, that if it was left to Julius, they would have probably been dead. All of them, not just the prisoners, but his entire crew. So, you know, they, if his guys come to him saying, Hey, we, we, we can't risk these, these guys killing off people. Um, we should just kill them beforehand and then just regroup and then fill out the reports and, and send it to Rome. You know, sad to say, but it is what it is. You know, these are unexpected times we're living in. Julius steps in now and says, no, we're not going to do that. He, he didn't want to lose Paul and, of course, his colleagues. And so we're told by Luke that all were brought safely to land. All 276 people reached land just as Paul said they would. And that's surprising. You know, through these, through these unexpected uh, conditions and uh, unexpected situations, you know, you're, you're planning again, again, it's going to take six, we're told six weeks to maybe two months to get to Rome. But now when they went to this bigger ship, they don't listen to Paul and now they're shipwrecked and they're on an Island known as St. Paul's Island. And that could have been avoided, but it wasn't. And so as I conclude this podcast, just for you to think about my friend, there's probably something you're going through in life right now that was unexpected. You know, if, if you had listened to God, or maybe this is what you're dealing with, you've listened to God, it wouldn't, it, you wouldn't be where you're at right now. You wouldn't be in this relationship. You wouldn't be in this job. You wouldn't be having these nightmares. You wouldn't be having these problems. And you know that now. So, you know, if you look back and you're thinking, I should have done something about this before, but I didn't. Listen, there's always God's forgiveness. And instead of beating yourself up or feeling like God, you know, is, is punishing you as a result, look, there's consequences to sin, to disobedience. There's no question, but you have to trust the Lord and say, just like Paul here is, Hey, you know what? I'm going to get to Rome. Not, I, I wasn't expecting this. I've been shipwrecked before. I'm sad that it happened again, but I trust the Lord. That's what you and I have to keep saying. And it's not just that you go through one trial and then that's it. It's like every five years you go through a particular trial. Just, you know, kind of like renewing your, your driver's license. No, trials come unexpectedly. They come in all, you know, shapes and sizes, you know, and, and I don't know what God has in store for me as I don't know what he has in store for you. He hasn't revealed that. And so there, just because we're in the dark on something doesn't mean because God's abandoned us. So Paul and his crew, they could have felt that. And there's no question they were cold. Again, they were starving, they were, you know, bad conditions and, they just, again, they were resilient because they trusted the Lord. And I love the fact that God spoke to him in such a way where he built confidence in him. And that's what I believe that we got from this passage, you guys, in part is that God 
is is going to use unexpected things in your life to sharpen you, to build you up, to give you the character, the type of to make you the type of man and woman that he's called you to be. And the other thing is that when you're in the in the thick of it and you lose sight of what God is doing, he will bring you the right message to keep you steadfast on completing the journey to completing the task at hand. So I pray that encourages you guys as we look at the shipwreck of Paul here, that this was not the end of his life. This was, there was still so much left in his life, and we'll see that in our final chapter on, ne- on, on next week's podcast. So I appreciate you guys watching. As always, thank you guys for taking the time to study the word with me. I pray that it's helping you grow in your faith. So if you've never subscribed to the channel, would you please do that? I would love, love, love if you would become a subscriber to my channel and share this post and like it and let people know how they can stand strong in the word like you and I are doing. So until next time, keep standing strong, my friends. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the word of God.